Yeah, first episode of the drawing board. Welcome, bro. Thank Quincy you. King. Appreciate Miles it. Underwood. What's up, y'all? Zach Ronfine. We're doing it. Took a little bit. Took Tuesday. Had to reschedule, obviously, but a little technical difficulties today, and we're here, so, so we're doing it. Um, we obviously, we want to come out with a bang, first episode, um, with an exciting guest, with an exciting story to tell, uh, someone who our listeners can connect with, and we can really pull people in right away. Um, I met you, or know of you, from my social innovation class. You spoke to us. Uh, and, and you taught us a lot about Audacity Labs and really gave us some insight into all the big things that you're doing. And, and I know you and Miles know each other just from the, a couple years being at Duke. Um, but I guess a little bit of a background um, on you. you. You graduated from Duke last year, uh, 2020. Uh, you're an incoming analyst at McKinsey, majored in public policy here. Uh, and you are the founder of Audacity Labs. Um, it, it, I guess it's a unique situation uh, where we don't have massive, massively famous guests who our listeners, uh, you know, know what they're doing and everything that they're up to right off the bat. But, um, you know, tell, tell the tell the people what you got going on with Audacity Labs a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And uh, thank you for having me on this. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so we I don't know how far you want me to I don't know how far you want me to go back. But um, right now where we're at is kind of trying to put on a full stack after school enrichment program um, using kind of the startup incubator and co-working space model for youth around namely the triangle, but then also kind of expanding that to students all across this country. Um, our main mission is around democratizing entrepreneurship. So that includes giving them all the tools, resources, um, skills that they'll need to embark on their entrepreneurial journey in whatever uh, trajectory that they take on, whether going to college, whether taking on a job or starting their own company or venture. Awesome. Well, we'll, I will, we'll definitely get to more of that. Um, but obviously, you know, audacity labs didn't just pop out of nowhere. And I think we, we spoke about this a little bit, um, at lunch the other day and that, and that people, you know, you don't just go on the street and scream, Hey, here's audacity labs, you know, everyone come running towards me. Um, and everyone's just going to come join. And I think there's that aspect of, and, and I think miles and I have talked about this a lot. It's that idea that every, anyone, and this podcast is really something for, people who are trying to create or build something and, and really giving them a platform, um, at least for us to be able to dive into to what makes them tick, what's their process, how do they approach their craft, um, and, and really kind of working at that on a daily basis. And I think everyone who's trying to build something has that dog in them to a certain extent, whether you're a, a musician or a filmmaker or an athlete or an entrepreneur, um, there's the odds are stacked against you. Um, and, and I think everyone has those odds stacked against them in different ways. But regardless, like if you're going to succeed, you got you to gotta beat those odds. So when did you see this kind of entrepreneurial side of you? Was it, was it applied in other aspects of your life, this kind of grind mentality that you, that you kind of then translated to, to, to all these entrepreneurial endeavors? Um, yeah, I mean, so there's a level of intersectionality with it. I think while you did touch on that, a lot of people do have the odds stacked against them, which... I think some of my identities do. There was also experiences that I had, which kind of put me in positions and spaces that allowed me to explore entrepreneurship more and in a way that people like to see, especially like kids and stuff. And that got me into other spaces, bringing me to Duke um, and then allowing me to build Audacity Labs. But definitely, I mean, this was something that I've always been interested in since I was a kid. Um, my 
mom's side is from Uganda. Um, they're Rwandan, but lived in Uganda, came to America. Uh, my dad's side was uh, born. He's born in Long Beach, Compton area. Um, in both domains of life, I saw entrepreneurship kind of thrive. And so from an early age, I was always really interested in building things. My best friend and I um, would kind of like Phineas and Ferb um, and every day I had like a new thing we try to build. We had like a YouTube channel. We had this t-shirt company, which was incredibly, um, it was a great failure, but uh, a great practice too. Um, we used to organize like neighborhood Olympics where we would go through all the directory of our school, call up the kids and plan all these events and like buy food and put on a whole program out of it. Um, we had like lemonade stands, we'd go door to door with like the fundraiser. So definitely had that from the beginning. And I always also used to always keep this little invention book with me, um, jotting down all my little ideas. And I remember one time, uh, so my dad actually worked at Amazon when I was younger. And one of my ideas was a chip because my back always hurt from carrying all my backpack or sorry, carrying my backpack with all my books when I was a kid. So I designed like this little chip and the chip was going to allow you to download your homework on it. And then you could like just set it up back to the uh, school as kind of like a micro USB thing. And then probably like two months later, I remember I was watching, um, I think it was Oprah with my mom and they were announcing the Kindle on Amazon. And I swear to God, my dad had taken my idea and tried to sell <laughs> it off to Amazon. Um, but yeah, I mean, they always really supported a lot of my work and stuff. And so was, I had definitely a great support system that um not everyone has and is empowered by and so that's what drives a lot of the work that i have now um or that i do now um but yeah this is definitely something from an early age that i've just kind of cultivated since that's pretty tough so you kind of touched on how you have entrepreneurship almost in your blood a little bit like you talk about your parents kind of your upbringing your background um how you kind of had almost this kind of entrepreneurial dog and you since you were a little kid um so i guess kind of when did audacity labs first come into existence for you like how did this develop like you know, what made you want to come up with this and kind of just where did that all start for you? Um, so I'd say it first started when I was in high school in Boise, Idaho, of all places. And that was uh, my junior year. I was in this organization called One Stone. Um, and the One Stone was a really cool nonprofit. Um, it was all student led. I think about 87% or something of the board members of the full nonprofit were actually teens from across the tri Treasure Valley in Boise. Um, and for that, it was really the first time I felt empowered um, to kind of take on a project from beginning to end. Um, we had students writing up like income statements and drafting budgets and being able to be um, entering spaces with like leaders and politicians in the community and having the backing of adults to kind of facilitate those conversations for us. But um, it was really a pivotal experience for me um, in the first time I was able to kind of see something fully through. Um, when I came to Duke, I was in your class uh, with Matt Nash and it was social innovation. He brought in the director of innovation from the museum of life and science. And they were kind of doing a workshop with our class around how to better engage teens and marginalized communities that weren't traditionally able to access some of the museum's programming. And I pitched this idea um, as something similar where it'd be a student led initiative, um, trying to branch or bridge the divide of students from different groups within the triangle. Cause there's a lot of private charter public schools, um, traditionally, it's really hard for kids to kind of break out of their silo, both within their school, but then also meeting kids from other schools in a collaborative rather than competitive way. I think a lot of kids are used to doing stuff like debate or mock trial or sports even, and those aren't environments where you're actually trying to get to know kids. You're really just in there to win and leave. 
Um, so we were interested in kind of seeing if this was something that would be possible in the Durham community. Started trying it out, and it's been successful since. Well, by the way, you might not know this, but you just got interviewed by uh, a girl named Anissa. Yeah, for, yeah. So that's I'm in that group. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. Nice. So we've yeah, been. So so, yeah. So we're we. I mean, we were kind of a, a lot of it inspired kind of by what we heard from you, and and your biggest question when you came in to speak with us and we kind of broke out into these groups and started brainstorming was how can I guess audacity labs maximize the value that it brings to the people that come through. And, and that kind of started this wave of, of trying to think about how students can collaborate because the thing is, and we've talked about it, like there are so many brilliant people on this campus. And I think, sure. you know, it's not, not, it's not even, it doesn't have to be the, the number cruncher brilliant guy or the, or the, the person who just like insane at Orgo. Um, you know, like it, there's like, thinkers like doers like creative minds like that collaboration aspect is so hard to come by when you especially when you're the person who doesn't actually have the idea or you think you know this idea of entrepreneurship and actually making it is so intangible um so i think that idea of like trying to fit like trying to figure out how people can collaborate in a more seamless way has to has to be the next step because we're not like getting the most out of the resources that we have as as, as a student body and then you then you add on the professors. I mean, mm -hmm. think about like this is what they feed off of. This is what these people love to do. They love to to help young people just like grow their ideas and understand themselves better and, and become adults and have this vision for themselves that they can pursue after after college. And you don't have to wait. Once you once you taste that like idea of entrepreneurship and, and, and building a brand and building something that like started with your idea, it's it's contagious and, and it, it grows and it develops in so many different ways. And I'm excited to see where the direction of the collaboration aspect goes. When was Audacity Labs in its most general, non-composed, non-focused form even like thought of? And what sparked that? Um, yeah, so I mean, definitely the spark I had began when I was in the program in Boise. But I think a lot of it also came from kind of being in different spaces at Duke. And when I first came to Duke, I was really involved in a lot of like the political organizations. I did mock trial. I did... Um, like East Campus Council, I did DSG and everything. And through it all, I just saw that there was so much money um, being spent on things that I did not think were actually um, valuable for not only the students, but also the community, which I thought was really important. Um, I also saw a lot of service opportunities that created this dynamic for students that they were seeing Durham in the light of like me serving you, not what else can Durham provide for a student like myself. Um, and I think that that's really important because you should have more students from Duke engaging with the community in a more dynamic and collaborative way rather than just like going in, serving and leaving and taking whatever resources that they've gotten while they've been here um, out of the state. That's, um, that's a really interesting topic because I think that's something that we talk about a lot at Duke, um, just in terms of like everyone coming from the privileged background, um, coming to a place like Durham and then kind of really just like really not even interacting with the community that much. Um, I know Duke does things like service learning components for classes to try to get us out into the community a lot, but I feel like for the most part, our impact as students isn't really there. Um, and kind of that's what I love most about Audacity Labs, is just like kind of the general impact that you're able to have. Um, and so I'm kind of just curious, like, you know, like, is it the impact that's driving you the most with Audacity Labs? You know, like when you, you're seeing this kind of thing kind of take off and really like formulate something that's real, like what does it kind of like get you the most excited about the whole thing? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely the impact seeing that it's something valuable for all of the people that we're bringing into the ecosystem. I mean, ecosystem development is 
a newer um, trend that people are really jumping on right now, but it's been something that people have done for decades. Um, and all that is, is really just trying to bring in stakeholders to provide for um, kind of each point along someone's entrepreneurial journey um, and giving them all the resources that they would need. And whether that's going to be a network, whether that's financial capital, whether that's the educational component, whether that's actually working space, um, I think that there's a lot of value that we've created for both the high school students that we're working with, but then also the college students and the professional mentors. And I think to your point about trying to differentiate ourselves to other types of service opportunities, um, you have to sell it in a way that appeals to Duke students because um, they're committing a lot of their time. So the way we've kind of gone about that is building a program that gives them also the things that they need to develop themselves, whether the um, networking with the professional mentors that we're bringing in, um, the portfolio kind of development that they get out of leading one of those student teams along their venture teams. Um, but then also for, um, we actually started doing a new initiative around kind of what was mentioned earlier around building more value for undergraduate students. Um, and that was a networking event that we put on for undergraduate students throughout the triangle. So we brought in students from Duke, NCCU, UNC, NC State, um, and we're just trying to continue to build that out to create that sense of community um, that will continue to evolve in whatever way the students want to take it. And that's cool because if everyone had figured it out, if everyone was the expert, then, you know, they wouldn't need programs like this. They wouldn't need Audacity Labs. What do you think the most common glaring from their perspective, not even from your perspective, but from their perspective, the, the most common, uh, I guess, absence in, in, in what they felt you know they lacked and you're referring to the undergraduate students or the high school students either i mean i would assume high school students even more so feel like they just don't know where to even start yeah i mean <laughs> there's a lot of problems in the high school space um so as you said we're not the first ones to do something like this and the problem is that the ones that have done things like this are targeting specifically very affluent very white students and charging about six thousand dollars or something for a nine-week program um, and when I was in high school I was privileged enough to attend camps like that um, I went to this like mock trial camp at Stanford during the summer and it's just it is all a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy kids like see that they understand that like there's a cost um, to it and even if you say that it's free that'll still deter a kid from applying um, and so that will continue to evolve throughout their life into undergraduate education or even uh, pursuing venture capital or something. And it's all like the same process. But um, so, yeah, as I was saying, with high school students, like there's so many problems that they're facing right now. There is um, inadequate access to other types of edu educational enrichment for like tutoring. A lot of those things are exclusive and Duke students are also a lot of the ones driving that problem because you have maybe this random Duke student going out into the community charging $80 per hour for their tutoring service, which is like great. And if a kid, um, if a Duke student actually needs the money in that way, then I fully support it. But you just have a lot of kids that aren't even thinking critically about how they're engaging with some of these communities. And so they can actually be more detrimental than actually beneficial if they're not researching like the best practices for tutoring students in like these different age groups are based off the student's background or are you providing for like bilingual students or something um so there's a lot of barriers that um people are just continually creating even though they think it's like a solution um and then another problem would just be kind of that collaboration aspect so getting kids to meet kids that are like-minded and see that they're not the only ones out there and i think there's been a lot of 
there've been a lot of trends around trying to find kids alternative um, enrichment programs. So there's like one that I think Lenovo is sponsoring right now around um, esports. So they built this huge esports facility at UNC right now, and they've seen that not only at the undergraduate level, but another one I think was built in Colorado has significantly increased the kids like connectedness to their school and making like friends in a different way. So I think just trying to branch those um, or facilitate those connections for kids across not only the state, but then the country uh, is going to be really critical for us. That's pretty dope. And so kind of with this whole conversation we're having, you know, we're trying to figure out, kind of uncover that whole dog mentality within entrepreneurship. And we're also, you mentioned a little bit kind of internet intersectionality within that. Um, and I think it's interesting because, you know, in terms of being diverse and talking about intersectionality, I think like your most diverse identity is you being a black person. And so on top of being an entrepreneur, which is already really hard to do, you know, you're a black man leading an entrepreneurial pursuit. And on top of that, it's not something that's like the typical type of like startup where you're like making a product and like selling it for like a, a monetary gain. And so like, can you kind of talk about the issues and kind of the, the impact that you have with that kind of area, you know, being a black person in entrepreneurship, but also a black person who's doing kind of social entrepreneurship? Um, yeah, there's a lot there, especially at Duke. Um, so I would say that as we were talking about earlier, there are components of my identity that have been um, obviously like can make it harder to pursue entrepreneurship just being black and like being in those spaces being young too that's a very real and present in those conversations um but then also i have to acknowledge like being from the west coast being um having been raised around a lot of white people frankly um and then bringing that to duke and being more palatable of a black person can definitely um incentivize a lot of like faculty members or whoever to put a lot of resources into you rather than a lot of other students that are still at the same institution as me, but didn't have those same um, kind of support systems. So they don't really know who to get in contact with at Duke. They don't know how to start reaching out for money. They don't know um, what classes they should be taking to put them in different spaces to actually kind of elevate their career. So there are a lot of problems with that. And that's something I've been very critical of um, in any type of engagement that I have with like the university I've always been very vocal about how they need to be actually supporting more students that are still of the same color of me but have an entirely different background um, because that's something a lot of universities need to work on that's, that's kind of an experience that I have myself you know you talked about coming from the west coast and kind of having a lot more of kind of I guess being people like to say like being a Oreo like you know black on the outside white on the inside you talk white stuff like that making it easier to kind of assimilate into like the white community the academic community um, I've had a lot of similar experiences like that, and I think being from where I'm from, kind of seeing people back home, it's always disheartening to see just people not really have, you know, opportunities and stuff like that, um, which is another reason why I really love Audacity Labs, and so I'm kind of just curious, like, you know, like, what are some exciting things that you're seeing from your students in Audacity Labs? Like, kind of, what is that experience like, you know, being in this space with a bunch of diverse students who are actually having this opportunity to kind of create things, put things into the actual world? Like, what does that kind of, what does that feel like for you? bliss um i mean yeah that's like the that's what uh drives me to do it all um i love hearing that the kids like enjoy it that especially during now a lot of them are struggling with virtual learning and they hate school and will constantly talk about how much they hate it but then they simultaneously talk about how much they're always excited to go to one of the audacity labs um programming workshops that day um also giving them the opportunity to meet each other and see those connections being made like one kid might be really interested in fashion and another one's really interested in environmental sustainability and then those two can go talk about building something together or same thing with like cosmetics or tech or really anything 
Um, and I think it's like seeing that spark in a kid's eye when they figure out that they're not the only ones that not only have this interest, but also the drive to actually do something about it. Um, and then connecting them with the people that will actually be able to give them the direct insight to how to be successful in the way that they were as professional mentors or undergraduate coaches. Yeah. I mean, what you were saying, Miles, in terms of like going back home and seeing, you know, seeing so many people kind of not have the same opportunities. And it, it kind of made me think of, of Durham as well. And, and something you brought up earlier, you know, Duke students are those people who actually have the resources, have the opportunities. And again, like Durham, I mean, the, 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 the amount of people that you see begging on the street in this city is it, it's heartbreaking. I mean, every corner and, and you think about it and that's obviously just a, a microcosm of kind of a, a, a bigger macro representation of so many of the, the, the issues in the city and, and obviously in so many cities around the country, but we need to do a better job of, 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 of respecting like where we are, you know, that we're, we're in this place where if it weren't for this community, that there would be no Duke, there would be no alpaca, there would be no, there would be no small businesses, there would be no, you know, audacity labs that wouldn't exist. And I, I, I think, I think a lot of people kind of take that for granted and people, you know, especially today, you know, it's really hard for people to get out of the individual individual issues that they're experiencing in this world because shit's fucked up. I mean, like to put it to put it like pretty straight up, like no one knows what this looks like. We were just talking about earlier, like this. I mean, that movie trailer you were playing, like hopefully, hopefully that doesn't, hopefully that, that's not our reality. But I think that we it has to be seamless. I think it has to be effortless. You know, we have to get in the line of sight. Of people. You can't ask people to turn their attention because people's lives are too busy, right? And I think if you apply, and I think, by the way, that's probably the same mindset that entrepreneurs have. You know, it's so hard to turn people's heads away from where they're actually looking right now, right? And it's getting in their line of vision and saying, okay, like, we'll, we'll, we'll we're going to create something that's going to make this so easy for you to do. I hope to see, especially just in the in the Durham community. I obviously have a couple more years um, than you, and 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 you know, I, I really I've obviously only spent a couple months here so far, and I'm and I'm learning. I'm taking the city in. I'm, I'm I think learning before you try to do too much is obviously um, really important. But again, I think that that everything you're hitting on and everything you're doing with Audacity Labs, it's just. Like if we scale it, it's just we're trying to scale that thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, you definitely hit on a um, interesting point about where people's attention is. And I think it should be, I think it should be more on themselves. Um, and I mean, to your earlier thing about how Duke is a microcosm of other issues. I think, yeah, there are a lot of things that start here. And I mean, I had a friend that wrote a, I had a friend that wrote a, Really interesting piece about one of the student organizations here um, called Campus Enterprises. And that, I think, is the most uh, perfect representation of how all of these things are happening right now in that you have all of these students that come to Duke and they are applying to pay a $10,000 upfront investment into a corporation that is actively um, marginalizing the same black and brown people that other Duke organizations are seeking to actually empower. Um, 
And so that within itself, I think, is really interesting to think about on this level of like these young Duke students doing this, but they're actually creating a lot of harm in the community. Um, and those are going to be the same ones that will most likely go on to own a lot of these larger corporations where we see the same things happening just on a much larger scale. Um, so I agree. It definitely starts here and it starts with these kids just looking within themselves and on their own actions, their own engagements and just really deconstructing that and trying to change the way that they're navigating space within both the on-campus environment, but also within the community. Um, and yeah, that's to start somewhere. Yeah. I love that you touched on the whole campus enterprise thing. Cause I think a lot of people, um, I didn't know about that at first. Like, like the first two years I was here, I had no idea about that. And then I heard people talking about it and I was like, wait, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> this is a real thing. And I think kind of what you touched on with that whole issue is like an issue that a lot of people of color face and entrepreneurship in general, is just a lack of access to capital. Like those students can come to Duke, they have access to just 10K to just throw out there into some random shit like that, you know? So, um, I think a little bit earlier kind of trying to recenter the conversation until it's like kind of that dog mentality and entrepreneurship. Um, you talked a little bit about kind of like approaching stakeholders and stuff like that. And so, Again, you know, you're a black person with an entrepreneur, with the whole endeavor you're trying to put forward. Um, you're also a black person with a, a startup that's not, you know, the, the typical type that's kind of like make it, generate a lot of cash and stuff like that. And so, like, how are you, kind of, advertising this? How are you getting funding for this? Like, how are you pitching this to stakeholders to show like this is something that's very tangible, has a lot of great impact. Although, you know, it's not like a, a Facebook that's going to generate millions of dollars. Mm. Like, you know, it's the impact incentives like kind of creating a different wealth class for people of color who actually need this. So how, how is that kind of experience going for you? Yeah. Um, so there's a few different trends kind of guiding our work. Um, there's like the one I mentioned earlier about like ecosystem development. Um, there's a trend about most companies in the future that are going to be successful are going to be platform companies that are going to allow people to build on top of their products and create communities and further ecosystems that will um, kind of add value by themselves. Um, and then there's this area about like youth empowerment and getting more youth voices because youth are always the ones that are driving change. Um, it's never going to be the, I mean, we hope that we can also see work put in by the older generations, but time and time again, we see that it's always the uh, young ones that are actually going to go out there and demand change and go about mobilizing themselves and moving forward with that. But um, the way that we sell all of those things to funders um, and to the students and to the schools is that when we're talking to funders, we're saying, we're building something great. Um, all of these areas that you're interested in about um, creating large, like to your point about these larger companies are all trying to think about how do we create a pipeline of talent or a pool of talent that we can draw from when it actually comes to recruiting after their college experiences or whatever, or these VCs that are now looking at themselves. I mean, there's only, I think 2% of venture capital goes to black founders. Um, and so now they're all being confronted with the fact that not only have they not distributed any of those that capital to their portfolio companies that are that would be black represented um, but they also don't have other vcs that are minorities that will determine where those funds go um and so when you think about where all these problems originate it's going to be when students are young um and when you think about entrepreneurship too you have a lot of people that might be too far down the road i mean technically no one's too far down the road but um, your mentality is very set by the time you're 25 or something. Mm -hmm. And if your whole life you've been told that the best job you can get is maybe working at a fast food restaurant or something, not that that's bad, but um, if you always think that you will never be your own boss or never have your own autonomy, it's really hard to 
tell people at a late age that, oh yeah, your whole life can change with like the snap of a finger versus if you introduce these topics earlier to students, um, you teach them the skills that they'll need. You teach them how to reach into like the right networks to actually empower themselves and move forward in their lives, um, how to get into the right schools that will allow them the opportunities to actually speak with VCs. Um, all those companies, once they see how all these things align there, they're pretty quick to jump on um, because this is, as I said, where all these problems that they're seeing later down the road begin. Um, so this is kind of the way that they go about solving them. And um, you kind of touched on it just now, but you know, our whole kind of social climate has just been really kind of shaken this past summer with kind of a, a protest around like just police brutality towards black people with COVID and everything like that. Um, you know, kind of COVID has shaken the whole landscape for business in general. Um, so I'm just curious, one, how has COVID impacted Audacity Labs, but also just like with the kind of changing social atmosphere, you know, do you see this as an opportunity for Audacity to really kind of take off in terms of getting funding, but also kind of having that social impact really kind of be driven through the floor, you know? Yeah. Um, surprisingly, COVID has partially helped our program grow. Um, obviously, it's a very bittersweet scenario um, because there is a much more urgent demand for this type of work um, around youth engagement, enrichment, um, equality, as you said, with a lot of these protests and stuff and equity there. So with that, I mean, we were never thinking that we were going to go do virtual reality. We were never thinking that we were going to move to like an online educational platform. Um, but now these are all conversations that we, well, one, we've started to do, but then also continue to scale out. Um, and that's just expedited it all. I mean, every industry is seeing every institution across the world is seeing a great, um, like a lot of rapid development and a lot of these changes that were going to happen maybe in the next few decades, but now it's just today. Um, so for us, that includes like a lot of those scaling efforts now that we can use because educational scaling online is going to be a lot easier than like building hubs in different communities that will be like physical offerings. And while we want to do that too, we can see that we'll be able to reach a lot more kids much more quickly um, through trying to figure out ways to do it all virtually um, and building that community virtually will also connect kids with other kids that they might have never met even within their state um, even within their school so um, it's definitely unfortunate at how it's coming about but it's also very beneficial that it's allowed us to gain a larger platform and serve more students um, much quicker so you mentioned virtual reality um for people that that wouldn't know what you mean so so audacity labs came up with virtual reality kits to allow high school students to basically tour colleges during covid now that's a brilliant idea and i think it 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 really it that makes a difference on an individual level where did that where did that come from because it's not necessary i mean of course it 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 lines up with the values of audacity lab but audacity labs but it's not it's not part of the mission statement. Um, so walk me through that with the whole thought process. Cause I, first time I heard of that, I, I, I thought it was just a really cool idea. No, I appreciate that. Um, and surprisingly it, it, it is part of the mission. Our mission is democratizing entrepreneurship. And um, while entrepreneurship shouldn't be based on the merits that you have within an academic environment, it is also clear that a lot of VCs and where the capital is, comes from the connections that you make within university systems. And so there have always been longstanding barriers for kids to access college or like even to see what is what the opportunities are um, that exist throughout the country. Um, and that, as I said, that's always been there. And then 
So we used to actually do college tours around North Carolina. Um, so we had like taken kids to Duke and stuff in our, even our first pilot. And we just, there were so many kids that are from Durham. They have generations of families from Durham yet have never been to campus, um, which was mind blowing for me. Um, so then extending that, as I said, there's kids all across the country that want to see different schools um, in New York, that want to see what's out there in California, that want to see maybe a engineering school in the middle of the in the middle of the country in one of those flyover states. And so, just giving them the opportunity to immerse themselves in that position. Um, there have been a lot of studies done over student outcomes, both academic attainment and um, career outcomes, that are based off of what a student expects of themselves or can envision themselves in. Um, and so if they can picture themselves at that school, actually being a student there, if they can picture themselves in one of, we also do company visits too. So we did virtual reality tour with uh, Amazon. We've done EPA. Uh, we've done Wash Aid, which is a cool sanitation facility downtown. Them being able to see themselves in that space and also hopefully seeing someone that shares an identity with them um, and envisioning how they can make that same path to that environment um, is critical. And it's allowed like because we were already focusing on that um, when we were looking at just how do we adapt our program for a virtual environment, that was something I came across. Um, and a lot of school, the schooling stuff with the college tours has already existed. There's a cool app actually called you visit. Um, and they've already built a lot of virtual reality tours at colleges across the country. Um, but with the company works like the workspace visits, those are, no one's really done that yet. Um, so we've started doing that and the companies have been just as excited because that means that more people are seeing their work and especially some of these smaller startups, they want that exposure component and they want these students to see that, that they're an option for them, whether they're leaving high school or leaving college. And I think that this idea that you just mentioned of, of, of people having visions for themselves, I think that that's important because anyone, again, Anyone who's going to, to sit in the chair that you're sitting in right now who's going to come talk with us on this podcast has a vision for themselves. It's just, it is ingrained in what you are trying to do. And I think as part of being an entrepreneur, especially, and it applies to other industries, but um, you are obviously an entrepreneur. I, there, there's, there's the need to follow through with that vision um, regardless of failure. 99% of the time, you're going to experience setbacks. You're going to experience failure no matter what. Um, but you have to m maintain that vision. And I think it's probably much harder when you're coming from the disadvantage already to experience those hurdles, even if you have a vision and then, and then keep going. And, and I think the, the whole idea of this is that people are going to hear the mentalities of people trying to achieve things and maybe they can apply them to their own lives and their own, you know, endeavors. And I guess in terms of the potential obstacles that you face in terms of building audacity lab or it was just an unproductive day you know whatever it is that you've had your your own personal setbacks or audacity what it, what is it that that dog mentality that that i'm like there's no quit you know we're 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 getting this done regardless if you want it to get done or not because because i'm gonna get it done you know um what what's your mindset in that regard I mean, yeah, I think it's just seeing all of the impact that we can create when everyone is aligned in mission. Um, and having seen success from that, I know all of the other great things that we can do. Um, so it's definitely hard, especially now, to um, kind of build more rapport with like a lot of the undergraduate students or even the high school students and stuff just because we're working virtually. Um, but 
I think the motivating factor for me has just been seeing the environment that's created when they're all together um, and all like collaborating. And so that's what keeps me personally going. Um, and I think that just sharing those experiences and also as I think the leader in that position, you have the responsibility that like, while it is important to maintain like mental health and all these things, you always have to come in like guns blazing. Um, I don't have time to like go on a zoom call and I'm like half down because that will entirely change the dynamic um, on that call. And so even if I have to act sometimes, like even if I've had a bad day, um, the moment I turn on that camera, it's a show. And so even when we're talking to like some of our mentors and stuff, like I know that they're going through stuff too right now. And it's so understandable, but I'm like, think about this, like acting, um, you just got to put on a show and like, that's, what's going to keep these students motivated. You do what you got to do. Um, and so I will, yeah, as I said, I acknowledge that, um, it's really important to keep some sort of sanity and balance in your life and stuff. And sometimes it's really good to just remove yourself entirely, um, to the degree that you can while still uh, producing something. Um, but it, there is a level that like I have responsibility that like I can't let it go or else things will fall apart. Um, and so that's what I think keeps me going. And how do you cope with that? Like, how do you, where do you find that balance? You know, like you say, you are like, you're the head honcho on this. So it's just like, if you're, if you're down, like everyone else is down. So like, you, you don't really have the opportunity to kind of have those moments where you're just like, uh, I don't feel like doing this today. You know, so like, how do you kind of find that balance for yourself? Um, yeah, I think I just have a really good support system of, some good friends and other entrepreneurs that like I can vent to. Um, so there's like this one group, actually this came out of a thing with my roommate. Um, and my roommate is from DC. He's a great guy working on the campaign right now. And during the whole quarantine time, um, he was just talking with like several of his friends throughout different parts of his life. And all of them were interested in entrepreneurship, including himself. And all of us have begun actually building our businesses. Some of us at different phases, but all doing really incredible stuff. Um, and so we would have like these weekly meetings where we just be on a call, be venting, asking each other critical questions um, and having like conversations that we can't really bring to like other groups. Um, and I think just creating that space where, I'm excited to like go in there and have the motivation coming out of it um, that I'm like doing something that's good. It's creating value and that there are other people out there grinding just as much um, within their own right. Then I think that's what kind of keeps me going. I guess. What do you tell your like people that come into Audacity Labs? You know, you, you, even if and here's the thing is that even if Audacity Labs is as successful as as we all hope it is and that you want it to be. There's never going to be the 100% success rate. Every single individual is achieving every single thing they want to achieve. What are, what's your what is the message to the individuals um, to to kind of maintain that same mentality that you yourself kind of have to navigate when you're kind of steering the ship? Um, so I think there's like two things. One, I think it's just um, representing that within my own actions and like making sure if I'm saying that you need to be meeting your deadlines, you need to be doing this shit, then I'm 10 times more on top of it. Um, because then we've had this when we were like all first starting out that like some of us would set deadlines, some of us wouldn't. And then some of us would be mad when one person didn't meet it. And the, even though like maybe one of us was late. And so I think it's just taken a lot for me to reflect on like the weaknesses I have and like actively work on kind of um, fixing them so that when I go to someone else on my team um, in terms of like the undergraduate students or even anyone else in our 
kind of larger organization, um, they can look to me as like what that model looks like. Um, but then in terms of just motivating them, I can't expect anyone to do anything that they can't do. Like this is also a lot of the stuff that they do as volunteer. I completely acknowledge that like, I'm not going to, um, require that you're spending most of your week on this specific thing. Um, and I appreciate and like thank the mentors consistently for any time that they do spend with us. Um, because without them, we wouldn't be where we are. Um, and so I think I just continually remind them that like they're doing great stuff and show them the ways that they're actually making a tangible impact in these kids' lives. And that hopefully motivates them enough. Another level is like we are raising money right now to make sure that we can pay our staff too. Um, because I don't, it's really hard for a nonprofit to be sustainable based off of entirely of volunteer staff. Um, and so the way that we're trying to frame this entire organization is operating like a business. Um, so having diversified revenue streams, having a staff that's paid, um, giving people incentives to continue to kind of climb up the ladder in different ways. And so without that infrastructure, it's a lot harder to kind of maintain that success. So we're just trying to put in all these inputs that incentivize people in different ways, whether through money, whether through just goodwill or um, getting the skills that they need to like go on to another thing. I think it's just trying to find ways to work with each individual differently. Yeah. I think you, you kind of touched on some of the unsung heroes within entrepreneurship in general, kind of just talking about the value of the mentors for your program. But I think a lot of times people kind of forget about a mentor in terms of kind of getting an entrepreneurship pursuit, like kind of off the ground, you know, nobody really gets anywhere without someone's help. Um, so you kind of talk about your mentorship, kind of like who's kind of guided you or not who per se, but like how that's really been impactful for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been blessed to have a lot of great, um, mentors in my life in different ways. Some of them were um, always outlined as explicit mentors. Some of them were just like more friendly relationships that like developed into a more professional thing. Um, and I think that there are some of those mentors that a lot of people have that they are just born into those spaces and that is something you have to acknowledge. Um, and there's some that you can just like actively seek out. But I think a lot of it is just like trying to show the mentor like and this is speaking as like a mentee in this position um also getting to know like what the mentor wants and stuff because like there are incentives that a mentor has in like mentoring someone both in like goodwill but also a lot of times like in entrepreneurship they want to build things with you and so that was actually one thing that drew me to INE was that rather than a lot of the other professors I had at Pup Paul or anything else not to say anything about, <laughs> about the department love y'all um yeah um <laughs> What I found unique about INE was that a lot of the professors um, didn't feel like they had like reached their end in terms of like building or like creating or doing outside of the academic environment. And so I just saw such a stark contrast with the way that my professors treated me in this INE department versus like other ones that I had been involved in. And they actually wanted to work with me. And even though there was a form of like mentor mentee, it was also they saw me as their equal to. And I think that that was really important. And then in terms of me being a mentor to others, I think it's just reciprocating that same energy that I got. I think like when I came in as a freshman, um, there were some specific individuals that like reached out to me that were upperclassmen were like, I believe in you. Um, and I think like one big one was uh, Trey Walk and Uzo, um, both incredible individuals in different ways. And Uzo had kind of like seen me as, um, a young entrepreneur in the same way that he was and um, definitely gave me a lot of insight and um, provided me resources in 
kind of navigating different spaces that I would not have known as just like this random freshman coming in and same thing goes with Trey in a different light. And so, um, when I see kind of younger kids, that's all I want to do. I'm like, how do I do whatever I can to like help you? Because I know that for me, I would not be where I am without a lot of the people that helped me get there. That's awesome. I think it's like, you know, you got to know what you don't know. I think you got to listen. Like I try to listen twice as much as I'm going to speak. I mean, I, I, there's so much to learn from people that are just doing it. And I like, even in the eight or nine months that I've kind of really taken on this like entrepreneurial kind of like hat, um, in like my stuff kind of outside the classroom, I've really, like, you just learn so much doing it. Um, and so I, I, I think that it's really cool that you recognize how important that your, your insight is, um, to people trying to do the same thing because it, it definitely goes a long way and, People don't know the mistakes that they're trying to make. I think confirmation bias is really common. I think people want to think that their thing is right. And, and you know, it's an ego thing. I think everyone has an ego to a certain extent. Um, everyone has to get the ego checked too. Exactly, exactly. Definitely have mine. Exactly. Um, so we got a quick couple of just like quick, quick fun, quick hitters just to wrap it up. Um, first of all, what's your routine? Daily basis. You're, you you got to be efficient in terms to, to get the stuff that, that you're getting done. What's your routine? Um, okay, so I wake up usually, like my first wake up is at 8 a.m. <laughs> um, I'll yeah. usually like, set my alarm for like somewhere between 8 to 8.30, but I'm snoozing it until probably about like 9.15. I usually don't try to schedule any calls before 10, so I usually have like my first one at 10. Um, just working throughout the day, I've gotten... Able, I've been able to actually move out of my apartment like when I work and stuff, which has been a huge help. I could not do anything in my apartment during like this virtual stuff. So going back to the co-working space in Durham has been a big relief for not only my productivity, but my mental health. Um, so I usually like head out to the ReCity like early afternoon. I'm there all day. I've been trying to be more um, critical of my like eating and stuff so i'm trying to get more in a routine with like what time i'm eating and like reminding myself that that's important um and then usually i will take like a quick like 30 minute break or something like lay on a couch but then i go get another also i have like a lot of coffee throughout the day um so then i'll usually get like my second double or triple shot espresso around like 3 30 or 4 in time for programming to start at five and then it's like a whole nother job starting at that point because we do program from five to six and then we have other stuff that's occurring from like six to eight thirty. So then I usually wrap up around like eight thirty, finish up with some emails or like do whatever I need to do and then head home for dinner. Yeah, we put in like a busy hours. man. <laughs> busy man. No, I've uh sometimes there's also wasted hours in between those times and getting lunch with people or whatever. I always try to like get some sort of like social um I don't know, engagement or something throughout the day. Well, then let's flip it. Let's say everything disappears for a day. You got no responsibilities, nothing to do, nothing to worry about, no one to report to, no questions to answer. What's that day like? A lot of Fortnite. <laughs> That's what it was when uh, I had, yeah, when I was struggling to graduate <laughs> during this um when the pandemic started and everything, I was already, I've had senioritis, I think since sophomore year. And I still then, have that. Yeah. Um, so then once I was actually in my second semester of senior year, I already had a very low motivation level. Then when everything moved virtually, I was essentially done. 
Um, so I spent a lot of time. I literally moved my bed out to my living room and I was just like <laughs> there for most of the time and got really into video games. Um, so I've gotten into that now. That's a nice relief. I think I get the most aggressive and like, um, energized that I think I ever am when I'm losing during By a video way, game. That could be great content. You should stream. Bro. I that don't is, think so. Yeah, dude, I content do not, is I don't, king. No, I don't. I, I'm not that content. No. <laughs> that is, I don't need a mic to me when I'm playing those games. Um, but yeah, so I've gotten into that. Um, I am trying to get back into working out. I used to do that pretty actively, but I have not seen a gym since February. Um, so I need to get into a healthier regimen when I'm not working. Um, but for now, just been a lot of consuming media, um, watch a lot of good TV shows, docs and movies and play some video games. Are you big on TikTok at all? Um, disappointingly, yes. I will, I will admit I, I spend probably like usually when I'm in bed at like midnight, I'll spend another like hour and a half. Yeah. See, that's the thing. That like thing. I was late to the game and I mean, they know what you want to see so quickly. Yeah. So quickly. My algorithm the, is like depressing. My algorithm knew before I started using the app. Whoa. They knew like I logged on and my for you page already knew. So yeah. I get like, it's a different game. It's a different animal. I mean, they know me better than I know myself. It's crazy. I mean, I, there's, there, there are secrets that I want to, I want to read that book because <laughs> I, I behind mean, it. yeah, I, I don't know that I, even today, dude, I spent, just you're like all right i'll take a five minute break from my work like i'll just like watch a couple five minutes and then into 10 minutes dude, like turns you into get lost hour. in it you get so lost in it um all right last one five, top five artists on your playlist um okay but this could be actually all time throughout your doesn't have to be what you're listening to now it could be but who it's different Let's hear it. Frank. You already know. Yeah, yeah, Frank Ocean, um, Solange, Mm -hmm. Tame Impala. Um, I've been listening to a lot of, like, classic, like, jazz R&B with, like, Charles Bradley and um, Irma Thomas and some other people. Oh. Um, Some old school people as of late, but, yeah, I would say always... Frank Ocean, um, yeah, Solange, Tim and Paula, uh, Caliucci's, and Steve Lacey. Oh, I love Steve Lacey. Word. Well, that's a wrap. Episode one, the drawing board. My guy, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, Appreciate you it. Know, you always remember your first, yeah. you know? <laughs> so uh, that's it. Thank Word. You. No, thank you. Thank you.